I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Starting in verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray once again before we look to God's word. Holy Spirit, we ask now again that you would grant us the understanding of this, your word, and to me the ability to communicate it by the power of your spirit for the glory of your name above all else the sanctification of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the spring of 1947, three Bedouin teenage shepherds were watching their sheep just outside of the Dead Sea in the, uh, near the land of Jordan. And they were uh, tossing rocks into a cave. They heard a shattering sound. So they went in to investigate and they found a collection of clay pots containing parchments and leather scrolls. They found seven in all on that day. Sold them to certain traders in town for a few dollars. And in the following months, um, archaeologists discovered 900 more, also in clay pots. It turned out to be a, a, a treasure trove of the most important discovery in biblical archaeology known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. The oldest manuscripts we have of the 39 books of the Old Testament a priceless treasure stored in earthen vessels, clay pots, earthen vessels, has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Jars of clay. But all it is is a container made up of baked dirt. Hard-baked dirt, an earthen vessel, jars of clay. 
And in the ancient Greco-Roman world, clay pots were very common. They were used for all kinds of purposes. They were cheap. They were disposable. They were replaceable. They were just simply um, fragile houseware. Common, everyday houseware. Everybody had them. Nobody prized them. And they used them for ordinary, everyday things, for storing dry goods. Dry goods, you know, flour, seed, and whatnot. They would carry water in them. They would use them for garbage, and as I've pointed out before, um, they would also use them as a toilet. Earthen vessels. One historian calls jars of clay the disposable bottles of antiquity. Kind of like, you know, uh, our cardboard boxes or paper plates. You know, a cardboard box, if it's a good one, you can use it for a few things. It'll last for a while, but eventually you throw it away. Now, reading ancient history, um, clay pots were included in the triumphal procession of a conquering Roman general. We've discussed what those parades looked like. Um, Many things um, were involved in the great parade, the victory march of a general, um, but included also in the procession were large carts pulled along the way, upon which was a gallery of numerous clay pots filled with the spoils of war, emeralds, rubies, gold, silver, coins. They were treasures of a conquered kingdom, concealed in ugly, fragile, worthless, disposable earthen vessels, clay pots. So just as you you, you can't always judge a book by its cover, as it said, it is equally true in this context that the container Um, does not always indicate the value of its content. Remember that the Apostle Paul is defending himself against the, the outrageous slander of false teachers who had descended upon the church of Corinth and in his absence were trying to assassinate his character while peddling false teaching. They were peddling the word of God. And his concern was not merely a matter of his own reputation, but rather the reputation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was his primary concern. Because if they can discredit the apostolic authority and message of the apostle Paul, the true apostle... They will have the freedom to proclaim their own lies and deception. So rather than directly refuting um, their false claims and ad hominem attack, you know, he's ugly, he's unimpressive, he's a poor communicator, rather than refute those things, he agrees with them. He gives God all the glory for whatever virtues and successes are made visible through 
his ministry while acknowledging his personal weaknesses as his greatest asset and most convincing proof of authenticity as Christ's apostle. Are you with me? So the the fact that he is feeble, flawed, and fragile serves as a testimony of God's grace and God's power through the man. Providing profound encouragement to all who are in Christ and um, similarly predisposed. That means you. Now, the context, remember, of this entire section is bracketed by the phrase, we do not lose heart. You see it in verse 1, and you see it again in verse 16. Last time, we were reminded that true gospel ministry is, number one, faithful to the word of God. Secondly, proclaims the Son of God. And thirdly, it reveals the glory of God. So preach the message. And as such, we do not lose heart, right? We we persevere even though the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. Back in verses 3 and 4, we learn that if the gospel remains veiled to unbelievers... The fault does not lie in the message. Paul attributes to Satan, the God of this world, the ability to blind people's minds to the truth of the gospel. They're veiled. That is, Satan attempts to keep people focused upon anything but the truth and the glories of Christ. The devil simply plays upon the fact that people are already enslaved to their own sinful natures. That's why we teach that the Bible does not teach that sinners have free will. Okay, now listen. You had free will to drive here this morning. You have free will to go left or to go right or to jump up or squat down. You have free will to do that. But a sinner, a sinner who's not in Christ does not have the free will to worship God because he is dead. He's veiled. His will is in bondage to his nature, which is fallen and in rebellion to God. Amen? That's why the lifting of the veil is a miracle. You can't lift the veil yourself. It comes through the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified, raised again. And as God has determined it, he will lift his veil, that veil, the man's veil, the woman's veil, blinded by the God of this age, as he has determined to do or not. But the veil won't be lifted without God's means of grace, and that is preaching the message of Jesus Christ crucified, raised again. So what Satan does is simply and strategically offer false religion is a, guide, is a guide to the blind. Paul says later 
In chapter 11 and verse 14, it is no wonder that there are deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, i.e. religion. So instead of leading the blind to the glory of God, he leads them to a spiritual wasteland, a broad road that leads to destruction in many Go that way. Now, we are reminded that we have no ability to lift the veil, not even our own veil, yet only, again, the faithful preaching of the gospel is his, God's, appointed means by which the prince of darkness is overthrown and God shines his light into human hearts. So the lesson has been over the weeks, don't, therefore, edit the message. Don't try to control the aroma, because to those who are perishing, the aroma of the gospel is death unto death. To those who are being saved is life unto life. Don't mess with the aroma of the gospel. Keep the message as is. False apostles were trying to change the message. So we do not lose heart if the blind can't see. So therefore, knowing that it is the devil who blinds, verse 4, and if the light by which God rescues people from darkness is the gospel, verse 6, then we had better preach the gospel, verse 5. Okay? The gospel message of Christ, friends, is about the message, not the messenger. Verse 5. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. The false apostles were preaching themselves. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants who preach Christ. That was last time. Do not lose heart as you maintain faithfulness to the message because the blind can't see unless God lifts the veil. So don't lose heart. Don't defect. This time, we are motivated not to lose heart that is to persevere, not because the gospel is veiled to some, that is those who are perishing, but because of suffering, affliction, and persecution for the sake of the message. Because of the faithful message. Don't lose heart. All right, amen? That's the introduction. So, verse seven. But we have this treasure... In earthen vessels, treasure goes back to the ministry, verse 1. Treasure is the ministry, the treasure is gospel ministry, and what it produces. It's the ministry of the new covenant. Verse 4, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So it is this treasure of those who God, in his grace, has revealed his truth, verse 6. Who reveals truth? God and God alone, verse 6. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, Genesis 1, verse 3, has shown in our hearts, he has shown in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, regeneration... Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. Regeneration, supernatural work, the monergistic one-way work of God Almighty. 
That regenerating work is just as much a divine creative act of God as was his original edict, let there be light. It's that supernatural for a sinner to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that applies God's omnipotence of his new creation work in the heart, the work of Christ. Glorious, amen? So Paul uses this as an ideal um, illustration of the treasure of a transformed soul. Again, the treasure of a transformed soul that is of the redeemed concealed in human flesh. Concealed in an earthen vessel. God formed man out of dust. Adam was formed out of dust. Adam sinned. He was made in the image of God. When he sinned, that image was marred. The image of God in Adam was was marred. It was not erased, but terribly defaced. We're born in Adam. Dirt bags. Clay pots, earthen vessels, baked clay. And now that image is being transformed in Christ, the last Adam, that is for those who are in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 18. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So we are shaped and we are baked clay that contain an incredible gift that is a glorious treasure and are now being transformed into the image of the last Adam. That's your present condition right now as we speak, believer, in that clay pot. The treasure's within. Now, Paul's accusers attacked his less than impressive life, the fact that he was always afflicted. He can't be blessed by God. Look at his life. There's no health, wealth, and prosperity in that man's life. He can't be a man of God. He's a man who's cursed by God. That's what it looks like. That's what they were saying. Now, in in his first epistle, Paul alluded to the fact that they said that he gave a simple message over and over again about the cross. That he didn't weave together the, the great themes of philosophy like they did. But Paul said clearly that he refused to use lofty speech and the philosophies of men, so they attacked him for it. And again, they even resorted to ad hominem. If you can't win an argument, just you know, tell someone that, oh yeah, well, 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 your mom is ugly. <laughs> In chapter 10, verse 10, they said, his personal presence is unimpressive. His speech, contemptible. In other words, he's ugly and he cannot communicate. In chapter 11 and verse 6, they said he was unskilled in speech. The Apostle Paul. Now, some commentators 
And historians have suggested that Paul was a small hunchback with some physical deformities. Okay, in addition to, imagine, being all scarred up by countless beatings, lashings, and a stoning, he was left for dead. You remember? Imagine what the man looked like. You know, Warren Wiersbe said that the test of true ministry is not stars, but scars. Now, they, they, they accused Paul, dude, you're weak, you're unimpressive, you're plain, you're not clever, you're a terrible communicator, you're not philosophical, and you know what else? You're not culturally sensitive. You're all too common. Paul, he said, I know. You're right. I'm a clay pot. I'm an earthen vessel. I'm baked clay. That's all I am. But ooh, ooh, do I have a treasure. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that, purpose clause, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Clay pots, treasures on the inside, comes down to us. Not from us, comes to us and then through us. Treasure. You know, the human body is relatively worthless, relatively worthless compared to the soul. The priceless treasure that it contains. Like clay pots, we're fragile, we're disposable, but oh, the glory that resides within the clay pot for every Christian. Every Christian. So this is why God puts the priceless treasure in clay pots. So nobody ever has to ask where the power comes from. It comes from him. And it it, it is purposefully this way. God has determined it to be this way. Notice the conjunction, but. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. But, okay, this material, clay pots, is in contrast to the infinitely expensive gift that God has placed within us. Verse 6, notice, the light of the knowledge, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. This glorious ministry, this treasure, that is the power of the gospel comes from God, not the preacher. The power is from God through the man to God's people. You know, God did not choose Paul. He did not choose you. He did not choose me because of of some great worth or ability that we have to bring to him. Amen? He, He didn't choose us even in spite of our weakness, but because of, because we're weak. We have this treasure in baked dirt. He's contrasting content from the container, which is a vivid way for the Apostle Paul to show us his weakness and in, in, in frailty and relative insignificance, even as an apostle. 
in comparison to the message that he proclaims. Turn back to 1 Corinthians. Or no, actually, I have it for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has what? Chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ. Did you notice it's not by your doing? By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Yeah, I'm deserving, all right. I'm a well-deserving man of the bottomless pit of hell. That's what I deserve. The fact that I believe and I'm saved from God's wrath, I boast in him. Boast in the Lord. You have this treasure, all of you, beloved, you have this treasure of a transformed, redeemed soul in a fragile, earthen vessel. You are an invisible temple of the Most High. Did you know that? Where God resides, that's his temple. He resides in you. This is the glorious treasure. You've been made alive because at one time you were dead in transgressions and sins. Made alive, Ephesians 2. You didn't make yourself alive. He made you alive through the preaching of this treasure at some point in time. You may have rejected it a hundred times, but there was that time you were made alive. You know, if you could see in the, inside the soul of a, an unredeemed person, all you would see is what we once were, a corpse. A corpse, spiritual corpse, dead in one's transgressions and sins, alienated from God and at enmity with God. That's all one is outside of Christ. Nothing more. Now, as one who has been made alive, because of this glorious treasure within that clay pot, um, some of you are, are struggling in significant ways. Part of living in a fallen world, right? Anyone struggling? Suffering? Confused? Join Paul's club. Because Paul now applies... The, the image of our daily lives, that is, as Christians, in context to the daily struggles of life as a believer, and, and, and in his case, as a preacher, as a true preacher of this glorious treasure. We see that now in verses 8 and 9. And we, we see here a series of paradoxical um, statements. Each statement has two phrases. The first has to do with the difficulties that he has as baked clay. And the second phrase has to do with the provision of God 
who has dispensed within him the great treasure. All right? So let's look at these together. In verse 8, notice, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. This is a verb that means to be subject to pressure, to be under constant pressure. Paul was under continual pressure. Every day he woke up with a sentence of death within himself as a minister of this treasure in a clay pot. Every day. I mean, his pressure, friends... The pressure on Paul was to make it through any given day without being murdered because of the treasure. This vessel, he said, is pressed. I'm pressed from every side, but not crushed. Not crushed. Cannot be annihilated because of the treasure within. Notice. Perplexed, perplexed, but not despairing. The term perplexed means to be confused, to to be literally at your wits end, to be in doubt, to be uncertain. You're at a loss in knowing what to do. Have you ever been perplexed, Christian? There's no reason to pretend as a clay pot. Why, Why pretend that you're never perplexed? That you do not know what to do at some particular point in time in your Christian walk. Paul was, what are you boasting about? You're a clay pot. You have no, you don't know which way to turn. Notice, perplexed but not despairing. We're perplexed, but we, we we're not despairing. To, to despair means to lose heart. To, to be at an utter loss and, and lose all hope. Perplexed, but not despairing. Despairing means to be at a loss psychologically and to be incredibly desperate where one has lost all sense of hope. No hope. Paul says, we we may be at our wit's end, and I'll tell you I have, says the apostle, but we're not despairing. We're not losing heart. We're not defecting. We're not throwing in the towel. A great example of this from the Old Testament is when Israel was being led by Moses out of Egypt. You remember Pharaoh changed his mind, and he sends his mighty army after the Israelites. They're pressed up, the Red Sea before them, mountains beside them, and Pharaoh's mighty army behind them, perplexed at their wit's end. And you remember the account that many did succumb to despair and they started to say, we never should have left Egypt, Moses. And Moses, I'm sure, was perplexed as the leader of the clan. And you know what he said? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He's the treasure. Verse 9, we're persecuted. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Now, this word indicates 
an intense effort of being of someone to overtake you with hostile intent. With hostile intent. That was Paul's life. This is a word that is used for stalking, for, for, for hunting wild game. For, for a prosecutor chasing after a criminal, a hostile pursuit. You know, but Paul faced the, the plotting of the Jews constantly. They were always looking for a way to get rid of the man, pursuing him like a wild beast. Hostile pursuit. You had the Judaizers who were constantly dogging his steps. It was relentless. So Paul says, um, enemies were pursuing on every side with hostile intent. Friends, that would be enough to break any earthen vessel. I mean, come on. But notice, he was not forsaken. Forsaken means to be deserted, to be abandoned. And one of our deepest desires is that we not be abandoned during times of persecution. Even if it's from people, let's say a group of five people come up against you and they're casting lies and slander. And to be alone would be miserable. But to have at least two or three at your side, there's a sense that, wow, I have not been abandoned. The one who will never abandon Paul, who will never abandon you, is the Lord himself. Look at Hebrews 13, verse 5. He himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? He can kill you, but he can't cast you into hell. Only God can do that, as Jesus said elsewhere. Don't fear man. Fear the one who can both kill and cast you into hell. All man can do is kill you. I'll never abandon you, says the Lord. Verse 9b, we're struck down, we're struck down, but not destroyed. This means to throw down in warfare, or like a wrestler will throw down his opponent, slam him to the ground. Paul says, we, we, we take beatings, but we're, we're not beaten. We feel like breaking, but we're not totally broken. Struck down, but not destroyed. You know, consider circumstances in our lives. They grab hold of us. Sickness, disease, financial difficulties, they throw us to the ground. But they can't destroy. We have the great treasure within. We, we, we have the Lord himself who will never desert his people. So, verse 10 now brings together in summary um, what the difficulties of verses 8 and 9 mean. Again, we, we, can't, we can't move away from context. So he gives these examples, verses 8 and 9. Now he brings it together. Verse 10, always carrying about in the body 
the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. That's what these circumstances amount to in this earthen vessel that take place in time and space during this ministry, says the apostle. The body is bruised, it's taking blows, but the life of Jesus in us and through us is being made known. Through the suffering, Christ is being made known. That's that's how he viewed life in the clay pot. Or I should say as a clay pot. Bearing in our bodies the persecution that the world would, if they could, heap upon Christ himself. But because they can't get their hands, their mitts, their claws on him, they try to take hold of God's people. That's the reality. Children, as you grow up, and you're learning all this about Christ, there will be people who will make, I'm trying teaching my grandchildren this, someday people are going to make fun of you. That's called mocking. It's mockery. They're going to mock you for following this Lord. That's a form of persecution. The Lord will always be there with you. And he's going to remind you, as your pastor will remind you, and as your mom and dad will remind you, and as friends in the church will remind you, we walk by faith according to what he has said, not by sight. Not, not, not by how we feel emotionally. So we don't want to, and here's the lesson of this entire text, lose heart. It will happen. Jesus said, don't be surprised if the world hated, it hates you. They hated me first. But you have this treasure in a clay pot. And then he gives further um, clarification in verse 11. Notice, for, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, notice verse 12. So death works in us, but life in you. He writes the Corinthians. But life in you. In other words, he says, look, there's a a costliness. You Corinthians, you're you're starting to buy in to to the rhetoric and the nonsense and the lies of these super apostles, false apostles, the eminent ones. There's a costliness for Paul's missionary endeavors. It's the death that works in me to provide life for you as I preach the treasure. Beautiful, isn't it? You know, there was, there, there was costliness in, in setting the theological course straight here at Pacific Hope 14 years ago. A lot of people didn't like it. I'm finding out more and more that a lot of people who profess to be Christians don't like the truth simply by the nonsense that they believe. Being peddled by culture. 
and numerous false teachers. There's a cost. And the Lord will continue to bless us with this ministry that is the ministry of his word. It's his treasure. It's not me. It's not my word. It's his. And he'll strengthen us in the meantime with regard to our weakness as clay pots, says the apostle. Earthen vessels, jars of clay, in order to bring the treasure to others. There's a cost. That's why you don't mess with the message. Because it's, it, is the, it is the treasure. Scott Haithman did just a masterful work. Second Corinthians. He said this, quote, During this evil age, it is endurance in the midst of adversity, not immediate miraculous deliverance from it, that reveals most profoundly the power of God. End of quote. That was evident in the clay pot called Paul and our lives as well. But notice now how the kingdom of Jesus Christ advances through clay pots. And it's by the fact that we are not above our master. Amen? Clay pots, fellow clay pots. We're not above our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, who had to bear the cross. Suffer the shame. God incarnate, who condescended in a human body, to appear as a clay pot. He's the treasure. An earthen vessel, the son of God. To bear the weight of God's wrath on a cross. We die, says Paul, that others might live. We reflect the ministry. That's the dynamic Paul wants to pull out here. Christ died so that we may live. We suffer so that you may live. We die. We have a death sentence, Paul says, every day so that you may live through the preaching of the treasure. Love it. Paul said elsewhere, Philippians 3, verse 10, I want to share in Jesus' sufferings becoming like him in his death. Cross-centered. Life. He goes, look, I'm not changing the message. I'm staying the course because that's the power. I'm not the power. I'm a clay pot. <laughs> Verse 13, but having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. Now he's quoting Psalm 116 from which we read earlier showing that he comes from a long line of sufferers for God's glory. You can't be a Christian and not suffer in some way for the name of Christ. It's just that simple. I mean, you might be an undercover Christian, but you can't remain undercover for long because the prompting of the Spirit will bring you out. Don't mess with the message. We also believe, he continues, therefore we also speak. 
knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. So now he shifts to our hope. We have a treasure, although it is within jars of clay, very fragile, very weak. Do you consider yourself weak? Or are you a spiritual superhero? Huh? Let the text remind you you're weak. I'm helpless in myself. This is the apostle. So he, he cites the words of the psalmist about trusting God during the midst of trial, great trouble, proclaiming the glories of God in the face of his present and very difficult circumstances. In fact, it's in verse 15 of Psalm 116 that we read these wonderful words of comfort, which, which had to have been in Paul's mind when he wrote this. And that is, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Isn't that beautiful? Precious. You know, if we're called to the martyr's crown, we will do it with joy, and we will do it with power. I always say, you know, you, you may think, man, if I was pressed up against a wall with a sword at my throat saying, deny Christ and you'll be spared, um, could I stand faithful? He'll provide you the power when you need it. You don't get that now. If we're called to wear a martyr's crown, think of Stephen, Acts chapter 7, who was stoned to death but was not forsaken. In fact, we read that Jesus stood, the heavens were opened, and Stephen saw Jesus standing. It's the only time we see Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, because he is seated as victor. But he stands up, heavens are open, and, and, and Stephen saw that he was not alone. So his death was not defeat, that was his victory. And there's the Lord to receive him. He will not forsake his own. Therefore, precious in the sight is the death of his saints. Within vessels of weakness, though we appear to the world as weak, the church appears as weak. Weak. Oh, you all have a crutch. That's right. He's not a crutch, as someone has said. He's a full-on um, emergency care unit crutch yeah I'm weak I'm a saved weakling because of the glorious treasure in a clay pot in a very fragile vessel that comes by way of the gospel supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that has enabled us to see has granted us the grace and the faith to embrace and rejoice in the treasure which is Jesus Christ and him crucified that's the treasure. That's what the man preached. That's what I preached. That's what you preached. That's what we all ought to preach. You know, that life-transforming experience is well captured in the great hymn from Charles Wesley, And Can It Be? Listen to these words. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, Fast bound in sin and nature's night, 
Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the judge inflamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Charles Wesley wrote that. Closet Calvinist. That's sovereign grace on display that he wrote there. That is exactly what we're talking about, this glorious treasure. The treasure of the glory of Christ, clothed in the context of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that comes to us in condescending grace by the awakening power of God the Holy Spirit. It's what we're all about. Being reshaped. Therefore, the warning again, Romans, beloved, do, me, do not be conformed to this world. Don't let them form you and conform you, but be transformed by the daily renewal of the mind every day. That's what you hear and what you think and what you feel in light of the word of God. It's essential. Now, Having been transformed and being transformed means that the greatest thing about the church is the treasure, not in spite of the pots, although that's true. But what we're being shown here is that it is treasure in clay pots. It's not even because in spite of, it's in. That's what God has chosen to do. No one in their right mind would take something of so, that's so valuable, and in this case, of infinite value and place it within some ordinary, fragile, disposable container. I would put it in a bomb, bomb-proof safe. Unless you're God. Unless you're the Almighty, who's ultimately concerned about what? His own glory. God is ultimately concerned with his own glory. That's why we're great beneficiaries the more we focus on his glory because one day we get to share in it through Christ and Christ alone. So therefore, the treasure stored in weakness, stored in fragility, in very unlikely containers is for the purpose, for the reason that the glory and power that belongs to God will not be confused by belonging to the pot. Does that make sense? He makes the most unlikely, ordinary, fragile vessels, baked dirt clay, and he takes the infinitely glorious treasure of his beloved son, and he infuses them together by way of union with Jesus Christ. The treasure. Union. And then that treasure is illumined through sinners saved by grace. Through people who do not have their act together. Again, through people who do not have their act together. Clay pots. So God has a gallery. His church, and when we're gathered together, and anyone who's an unbeliever, curious perhaps, walks in, they will not be inclined to say, wow, 
Look at the pots. No, they'll say, man, look at the treasure that illuminates through the pots. That was Paul's life. That's what he does through his church. The sole, solitary platform of divine grace, it is the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of people need grace? Poor, needy, broken sinners who know that they're poor, needy, broken sinners. That's who. They know they're sinners. They know they've messed up. They know they're guilty, and they know that they're doomed in and of themselves in need of the treasure, in desperate need. You know, those who think they have it all together, the do-gooders in life, who think they can earn their way because they've done so much good, they're blind. The veil has not been lifted. You're a clay pot who realized that not only are you breakable, you're already broken. Received this glorious treasure? What does that mean? We, we, we don't have to hypocritically pretend to be something that we're not. Because then all you are is a clay pot covered with paper mache. Phony plastic Christians, when they work to exalt themselves... They diminish the treasure. When the pot thinks it's on parade, it diminishes the glory of the treasure, the gospel. Working hard to pretend they have their act all together. That's not the church. They just dress up the pot. In other words, the cross is only for sinners who by grace realize they're sinners. Deserving the spot next to me in hell. Treasure. They realize how much they need the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why I say these preachers need to get back to preaching the cross. Or you're not preaching the treasure. Five steps in being a better pot. Really? Preach the treasure. You're worthless. I'm worthless. The treasure's everything. Preach the treasure. You know, regardless of what you might think about yourself, or perhaps someone you hold in high esteem as a Christian, the reality of the church of Jesus Christ is not a collection of fine china and stemware. It's baked clay and dwelt with a glorious, infinite treasure. Amen? So you can let your guard down and just be yourself. If you're in need and say, man, I'm really messed up in this part of my life, be transparent. Bear one another's burdens. That's why, because you're a clay pot. And dwelt with a great treasure. It's all about him. Verse 15. For 
all things are for your sakes so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the pots. Is that what it says? No. Which is the spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound in the glory of God, the treasure within the pots. Paul will continue to preach Christ. And as he does, more and more people will receive grace and God's people in turn, will offer thanksgiving to Paul, to not Paul, but to God, who through Christ has saved their wretched soul. All for the glory of God and for the sake of the well being of his people, including those who presently do not know their, the Lord's because the blind has not been lifted yet. So he continues with the treasure, proclaiming the treasure, in spite of what they're saying about him. He's weak, he's ugly, he can't communicate. You know what? You're right, I agree. Here's the treasure. Right? I love this brother. I cannot wait to meet Paul. After I gaze at the glory of Christ for a billion years, I'm going, hey, where's Paul? <laughs> Man. Well. So as an earthen vessel, beloved, wrapping up, we have this treasure, and this treasure manifests the power of God, not you. And we get to participate in, in multiplying God-glorifying worshipers. How? Through the ministry of the treasure. That's why we're focused on the word, and that's why we're focused on staying the course and, and, and keeping the main thing the main thing. We, just, we spoke about that in prayer time this morning, the elders. Keeping the main thing the main thing, the gospel. The whole counsel of God, in other words. It's not about people, it's about him. Who saves people? He saves pots made of clay. So while there are the presence of crosses in our lives that we must bear as clay pots and dwelt with the treasure, whether they're big or small, that in no way means that there's an absence of glory in our lives. Amen? Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. This is a journey, sometimes hard, but it's very short compared to eternity. So Paul says, look, we're not going to quit. We're not going to lose heart. We will continue to give this message out, this glorious treasure within, this fragile, ugly earthen vessel. I don't care if you like me or not, I'm preaching the treasure, says Paul. We're going to continue to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. We're going to continue to claim Jesus is Lord. We will continue to say that all gods of this world are idols, and we're going to continue to point out false apostles, false teachers, and heretic preachers. As he did. We must also do. For the glory of his name, first. And secondly, for the protection of his sheep. 
even if it means the crushing and the shattering of these clay pots that exposes us to death, we're going to stay the course, says the true apostle. Because we've been gifted to see and believe the gospel, the testimony of Christ, nothing will deter us from his work according to the grace that he supplies every day. This is, the Paul, this is the man's mission. So in jars of clay, fragile vessels we are, we're wearing out. Anyone feel like they're wearing out? Kids, you know what? You're, you're growing stronger every day, but you're going to hit a peak, and it's down from there. <laughs> Word. <laughs> Word. So you are getting stronger. There is a short, very short season. And then there's a time in life called your prime, <laughs> physically speaking, as a clay pot. There, there, it's a prime. 20s, if you're an athlete, maybe up to 30, it depends. And then you start waking up with pain. <laughs> and no one hit you there yesterday, it just hurts. <laughs> so we're wearing out, but we carry an eternal treasure. Do not lose heart is the lesson of this chapter. And we're not done yet. Amen? So thankfully, the veil of sin over our hearts and minds has been taken away through the message of Christ crucified through which we have now a true knowledge of God as believers in Jesus Christ, the hope of eternal glory in resurrected bodies yet to come Yet to come, this thing will be raised again, just like our Lord's, glorified on a new heaven and a new earth. So we carry on holding to the gospel promises of Jesus Christ, again, walking by faith, not by sight. All of which has been accomplished by Jesus Christ on our behalf through his life, death, and resurrection. Amen? Amen. If you're not in Christ... Perhaps the Holy Spirit is working in a way that the veil has begun to lift and the light is starting to shine in. And you're starting to see the treasure for what it is. And I pray that he'll lift it all the way off today and that you will come to saving faith according to the same grace these other pots have received. Repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ alone for the salvation of your soul. And the scripture says, you shall be saved. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your abundant, abounding grace. We thank you for the glorious treasure within these wrecked pots. Help us that that light may illumine through these pots for the glory of your name and a testimony to others as we minister the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Give us strength that we need for we are weak. Help us not to fake it, but to run with endurance, to be transparent, so that the cross shines forth to us and through us. For Christ's name we pray. Amen.